So we are kind of wrapping up a teaching series today, and I want to double all the way back and remind us of what we're trying to do here. And then uh, from here on, we're going to launch out a little bit differently. So what we were doing was kind of trying to start over and saying, what would it be if we had never heard anything about Jesus, had never been to church, um, did not have all kinds of layers of theology and traditions on our thoughts about Jesus? Would we still behave the way we do and think the way we do about Jesus, or would we have a different notion about him? And so we feel as though today it's, it's really important for us to have an honest conversation in our society about Jesus and not about all of the religious things, um, but just about him. And so we have this notion that it would be interesting to meet Jesus again for the first time and just start over and say, we don't know anything about you. We don't know who you are, where you're from, what you want. So we're just going to listen to what you say and watch what you do. And so one of the ways that we thought we could do that was just simply listen to the number of times that Jesus began a sentence with I am and just try to figure out how he was wanting to introduce himself. So all of this, as we saw, was against the background um, of a really complex religious setting where there were several sects of um, religious police, if you like. So there were the Pharisees, there were the Sadducees, and there were the scribes. And there were thousands of them all over Jerusalem and everywhere that Jesus went. They were scrutinizing what he did and scrutinizing what he said. And for the most part, taking it apart and saying, this guy is a phony, this guy is a threat, this guy is a charlatan. Um, and Je Jesus just sort of kept going and talking. And he said several things that um, are on the face of them, just really simple, plain statements that began with I am. But they were also in the context of things that were going on around him, things that he saw. And so while the Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes had thousands of laws um, that you needed to adhere to if you were going to be a good religious person, um, Jesus dispensed with talking about all of those laws, and he just came down to saying several things that began with the words, I am. And John, who was his good friend, wrote them down. And we're pretty confident that what he wrote down is exactly what we have now because we've gone back and looked and listened and checked the number of authorities and witnesses. So we're pretty sure we know what it is Jesus said when he was here. And that's the place we'd like to start is to say, what do we know that he said and what does that mean? So what we've looked at are these several comments that Jesus made, or these several claims that Jesus made, um, where he, against the, the background of having done this incredible thing about feeding thousands of people along the Galilee with one boy's lunch, um, Jesus said, well, you think that's impressive? Well, I am the bread of life. So what we saw was that the Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes had all kinds of complicated religious notions, and you had to be a scholar to understand them, or you just had to do what they told you. And Jesus said, no, I'll talk to you about religion in terms that you can understand. Do you know what it's like to be hungry? Well, I'm the bread of life. Do, do you know what it's like to have longings and hungers of different kinds in your life? Well, I am the satisfaction to the things that you long for. I'm the bread of life. He was in Jerusalem at the feast, and there were these huge menorahs of light in the temple courts in Jerusalem. And against the background of these amazing lights, he said, 
I'm actually the light of the world. So this light that shows you the way through the temporal courts, that's, that's one kind of light. Me, I'm the light of the world. And then when he's having a huge debate with the Pharisees and he was claiming things about um, people being able to live even though they died and being raised from the dead, um, they got into this, this incredible challenge with him. And he said, um, you know, if you believe you can live, and if, if, even if you die, you can live again. And they said, well, our father Abraham died. Are you saying you're greater than him? And Jesus said, well, actually, Abraham saw my day, and he was pretty happy about it. And they said, you think you know Abraham? You're not even 40 years old. How could you, how could you know Abraham? And Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. So they grabbed stones, because he's obviously claiming God's name in this I am statement. Then they're walking through the countryside, and there's a sheep pen, and he said, you know how sheep have shepherds, and some of them are good and some are bad? I'm the good shepherd. So if you're a person who recognizes that you're a bit of a sheep and you need someone to look after you, to care for you, to protect you, I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and life, he declared, against the death of his really good friend, Lazarus. And then last week we saw that as they walked through a vineyard, he said, if you want to know what it's like to know me and follow me, I am the true vine and you are branches. So you can live a fruitful life, you can live a meaningful life if you're connected to me. I am the, the true vine. So John is the person who told us all these things. And as I, I said to you, I'm confident that we have a pretty good record that Jesus said these things. And that, then it's left up to us to know what we make of those things. Was he right? And the debate that went on all around him was, is he nuts? Is he a criminal? Or is he the prophet? So the Pharisees made up their mind. They said, arrest him. The crowds mostly made up their mind and said, what he says, an ordinary human being doesn't know those things. What he does, an ordinary human being doesn't do those things. So they were inclined to follow him, thinking that he was the prophet, thinking that he was the Messiah that had, had come for them. And John says, you know, I was there the whole time. And John is called the beloved disciple. He uh, is probably the only disciple that died a natural death. The rest of them were martyred. Um, and John was exiled to the island Patmos when he was like a 90-year-old man. And when he's in his 90s, he writes letters. So the letters, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John in our New Testament, and the Gospel record of John, written in his 90s. And the book of Revelation, that's what I'm getting, the book of Revelation he wrote in his 90s as well, when he was an exiled prisoner on the island of Patmos, exiled by the Roman emperor for being a Christian follower and pastor. So while he's on the island of Patmos, he's reflecting on all of the things that he saw Jesus do and all the things he heard him say. He writes them all down, and then on one Sunday, he drifts off to sleep, and an angel shows up and brings him a vision, brings him a dream. So what John has said to us already in his gospel record, he says, I was not dreaming when he said that. I was there, I was wide awake. In fact, at the end of his book, he said, if, if, if you tried to write down all the things that Jesus did, all the books in the world couldn't even contain what he did. So I've written what I think is important for you to know, and part of that is this string of I am's. 
So when we get to Revelation, we have John, again, an old man on the island of Patmos, exiled for his faith and for his leadership in the church. And he either died of old age in Patmos or there's a tomb in Ephesus that um, has an inscription on it that says this is where, where John is buried. But here's what we come across in Revelation chapter 1. Um, here's, the, here's the background of this. John's, he, he drifts off to sleep. And uh, Revelation's about the hardest book in the Bible to understand. You get that, right? I mean, is it literal? Maybe not much of it. It's what they call apocalyptic. And apocalyptic's a funny word. It just means hidden or mysterious. All kinds of symbolism, all kinds of drama, um, but through it, there is this sort of string of John's story about himself. So I want today to just remember what John has already told us and then meet up with John when the next thing happens related to Jesus saying, I am. So Jesus talks to John in this vision through this angel, and I want us to try to imagine how it was to be John who had been close to Jesus, his dearest friend, who had seen him do what he did, heard him say what he said, and had seen him die, and then claimed that he had seen him alive again from the dead. Now, decades, decades, decades later, John is still faithfully following Jesus, and Jesus talks to him again. After decades, Jesus has been gone. And now in this vision, or this visitation by the angel. So John says, I was in the spirit. I don't know what that means. It's, it's some kind of spirituality or some kind of consciousness. And he said, I heard this incredible noise behind me. So he, he says this, when I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands, and standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like a son of man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool and white as snow. And his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand. And a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth. And his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. John, who had been with Jesus, had seen Jesus with dirty feet, dusty feet, dirty clothes, tired, hungry, happy, sad. He had seen Jesus in his, his full human manifestation. And remember what I'm wanting to claim to you is that the Jesus that, that is described in John is not the, the Jesus of faith, as he's referred to these days, but he was the historic Jesus. And in my view, there aren't two different Jesus. There's not a Jesus of faith who's a fanciful Jesus, who has been layered over through the centuries with, with legend and religion and power and abuse and all of the... There is a historic Jesus who really existed, and I think the one that John says he believes in is not the Jesus of faith. He says, I believe in the historic Jesus, which makes what happens in Revelation all the more interesting because John in his story has not tried to make the Jesus he's presenting a Jesus of faith. He's just saying, I'll tell you exactly what I experienced. And then at the end of it, he says, so, I believe. Do you believe in him? And you go back and say, well, if we peel back all of the funny notions you had or all of the religious layers of the onion, and John would say, no, there aren't any of those there, right? 
I just told you what he said and what I saw him do. So on that basis, I'm asking you, what do you think of him? And now he says, and I'm going to tell you something else. Now, this is a different story. This is Jesus talking to me. He does not look like he used to. So is John credible or not? I mean, is he an old man and completely senile and having dreams and visions? Or is he still dependable? Well, it's in this state of consciousness and, and acuity that he wrote us the story of Jesus. It's, it's, it's right around the same time. So the same guy says, and I'll tell you this, I had this vision, and you won't believe what I saw. So he starts by saying, I saw Jesus again. And you think, okay, John, you know Jesus. You were his dearest friend, right? Yes. You knew him as a thorough human, but you saw what he did and heard what he said and all of that, and and you believed in him. Now you meet him in a vision. And John says, yeah, I did, and here's exactly what happened. In In Revelation 1, he says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I died, but look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and the grave. Just before that, um, John says he heard a voice that said, I am the Alpha and Omega. Um, Before I was a really smart person and knew Greek, I never understood why Jesus would be the A and the O. Then I discovered that Alpha and Omega are the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. It all makes sense. He's saying I'm the Alpha and the Omega. The the way Jesus describes himself here, and we're going to do a bit of work on this in the next few months, is how he describes himself through the whole book of Revelation. What he wants to say about himself comes out in these precise words over and over again. So if he was careful in his time on earth in the Galilee region and around Jerusalem to make these deliberate statements about the I am, now in this vision he's careful again to say to to John, I am, and these are the terms that come up over and over again. And I think just as we were able to sort of meditate on why Jesus would say I am the good shepherd, for example, what does that mean? Now we can say, well, why does he choose these words, this resurrected Christ, this incredibly um, vivid, dramatic presentation of the resurrected Christ in this vision to John? So the words that he uses are very, very interesting. He said, you don't have to be afraid. Now, again, you want to try to get into John's mind and heart and say, did you get that this was Jesus? And he's just sort of bringing it firsthand and saying, when this happened, I was terrified. It was like there was this horrendous noise, and there was this, this being that all of a sudden appeared, and, and I saw these, these lampstands, these lights, seven of them all around him, and I saw his, his hand. He had these stars. He was holding these stars in his hand, and his hair was like white like wool, um, and his, his feet were like, burnished bronze or like shining shining bronze and you want to say okay john what was that and and he would clearly say that this was not 
you know, a real person in time and space who walked up to me. This was a vision of someone. And John is uniquely positioned because he's seen the real physical historic Jesus, and, and he, he connects them up. And he says, now here's what he said this time when he introduced himself. And he said to me, don't be afraid, because he said, I was absolutely terrified. And he said, here's what Jesus said, I'm the first and the last. I am the living one. Or, or it could, could even just be translated fairly plainly, I am life. I'm the first and the last. I'm life. I died, but look. I'm alive forever and ever, and forever and ever uses two words that mean eternity. He says, I, I was dead, but look, I'm alive, and I am from eternity past or from the, the no-beginningness to the no-endness. So if, if you want to get some scope of my identity, when anything started, I was there, and when anything ends, I will be there. In fact, I pre-existed anything that started, and I will outlast anything that ends. Because I am life. I am life itself. And then he says, while we're getting our terms straight on this whole existence question, I have keys. The keys that I have unlock the place of the dead and death. So he uses the word Hades, and Hades was a Greek term that referred to the abode of the dead. And Jesus says, John, here's who I am. Not the true vine, not the bread of life, not the light of the world, not all of those things. He said, now you need to get this, that I pre-exist time. I am the very essence of life. And before there was anything, I was. And after there will be anything, I will be. And I have the keys. I am completely in control of the realm of the dead and death itself. Do you lay awake at night wondering about life and death ever? Sometimes I think I'm just nuts because nobody else seems to worry over this stuff. But I think what happens is we just get back into the daytime and start talking about our jobs and our families and all that kind of stuff. But I presume most of us sometimes find ourselves in that place of deep consideration where we, we wonder about life. Sometimes something comes near us. Death comes too close. And then we have to think about it. But then as quickly as we can, we kind of push it out of the way and get on with life. Jesus says, the most important thing you can know about me now, John, my old friend, is that the person you hung out with existed before time will exist after time, is life, and has complete control and authority over the realm of the dead and death itself. The realm of the dead was always a terrifying notion in mythology and story and in history and all of that. And Jesus said, you have to worry about the realm of the dead. I'm in charge of the realm of the dead. And I'm in charge of death. So what do we do with what John has told us? That's, that's the simple question. 
Um, never mind religion, never mind church, never mind morality and ethics, never mind the sociology of Christianity, never mind the economics of Christianity, never mind the politics of Christianity, never mind whether you have to be a Republican or can you be a Democratic, or never mind any of that kind of stuff. Just go to the heart and say, was Jesus something to be thought about or not? And what do we know? Well, credible witnesses said they saw him do things and they heard him say things. And one of them, who outlasted most, had this incredible vision, this incredible spiritual um, epiphany where he saw not that physical guy that he used to hung out, hang out with, but this vision, this enormous, vivid, dramatic vision of a, of a speaking being who was, was resplendent with, you know, the lights around him, stars in his hand, and he's got a message that he's sending to all through the, the Asia Minor churches. And John says, um, this person said, I am life. I was before everything, I'll be after everything. I am, in fact, the one who now is in total control of the realm of the dead and death itself. So what do we do about that? John, John said at the end of his epistle really clearly, um, I've presented you an accurate record of what he said and what he did, and I believe in him. It wasn't easy to believe in Jesus ever then. It wasn't easy to believe in him when he was on a cross and most of his friends ran away, and John stood there with, with Jesus' mother. It wasn't easy to believe in him when there was an incredible persecution by the Romans in ten waves of awful, violent, murderous persecution where disciples were, were murdered, they were, they were hung, they were beheaded, they were... And here's, here's John, maybe the only one left. And he says, I, before I die, I'm going to tell you exactly what it was like to hang out with him. And then I'm going to tell you about this incredible vision that I have in which the risen Jesus said, now, John, get this, I am life. I'm in charge of life. I'm in charge of death. And so I've got some messages for the churches that he's going to give to John. What are we going to do about that? Never mind church, never mind religion, just what about Jesus? And can we talk about him, and can we argue about him, and can we settle on what we can dependably remember about him, and, and then can our lives be different because of that? Um, several years ago, actually, it was the year 2001, um, I had just moved to a new church, and I was invited to play golf in this charity golf tournament. Um, that a, a guy in the church ran. It was the biggest fundraiser they, they ran at all every year. And when I got there, he, he said, so you're going to ride with, with Tony. And there, there's this guy, Tony, who's got his clubs in the back of the, the cart. And I climbed in beside Tony. And he was an ordinary-looking guy. He was a kind of slim, fairly tall, black guy. And I could tell he was from... Dominican or Haiti or, or or somewhere as far as as far as I could tell. So, we're um, we're playing golf and he's pretty good and I'm not good at all. So that's embarrassing. Um, but as people would would see him, they'd come by and they say, "Hey, Tony, it's great to see you." And I'm, 
people know Tony. And, you know, one person came by and he said, hey, Tony, I really love what you do with the kids on the off-season. So I'm, I'm not the smartest person, but I'm thinking, Tony, off-season. So I said, are you, um, are you like some kind of athlete? And he started laughing. He says, yeah, I am some kind of athlete. I said, oh. And do you do, like, children's sports camps or something? Yeah, he said, I do, actually, in the Dominican on the off-season. So I said, I'm going, Tony, Tony, Tony. He goes, you don't know who I am, do you? I said, no, I, I'm sorry, I really don't. He says, I'm a Blue Jay. So he's Tony Fernandez, right? One of the <laughs> best celebrated. I go home and tell my kids, they go, Dad, you are an idiot. <laughs> well, they're right on more fronts than that, right? Um, but he said, he said, this is really cool. He said, I, I'm just... It is so fun that the only guy in the golf course that doesn't know who I am is the guy I'm writing with, and that's really refreshing, which is cool. So I thought about that. Um, when I realized who he was, everything changed, right? I mean, now I want to know more about him. Now I'm watching his swing, and I'm asking questions like, so how does a baseball swing compare with a golf swing? You know, intelligent things like that. And having this conversation, because now it really, really matters. He's not just another single that needed to get a partner in the cart to play the tournament. So the big thing in life, I think, is to meet Jesus and say, are you, is there something special about you? Or are you just a guy? And I think sometimes Jesus might just sort of smile and say, you may be the only person in the room that hasn't figured out yet that I am the I am. I am the one who was before time, after time. I am life itself. I'm in charge of the place of the dead and death itself. And I'm delighted to talk with you because I want you to know that about me. And I think it's kind of cool that the only person in the room that didn't know that is sitting right here listening to me, meeting me. And why don't we keep talking? Jesus, um, not church, not doctrine, all of that stuff matters. It matters more to some people than others. matters to me because it's my job, and I have had to read books and stuff. matters to me because I care about what churches are trying to do these days. But honestly, when it comes right down to it, the only important conversation is, so who is Jesus? And are we right about him, wrong about him, sort of right, sort of wrong? And what does it mean that he has made these claims about himself? What I quoted a few weeks ago, C.S. Lewis won't let us off the hook. He says, you can't just say that he was a great moral teacher. He was either a lunatic or a liar or Lord. You can't get away with just saying he was a great teacher. He hasn't left that option open to us. So which one was he? Liar, lunatic, Lord. Those were the three answers that were given in the day. So it wasn't just always clear that everybody said, this guy's obviously a liar, or this guy's obviously a lunatic, or this guy's obviously Lord. He, he made it too hard um, for there to be universal consensus about that. When things were going well, he would just disappear on them. 
when they tried to arrest him, they couldn't find him. When they tried to understand him, he made stories that they couldn't figure out. And in all of it, I think it's, it's this, um, the hound of heaven, it's called, this, this hound that is chasing us down. And Jesus chases us down with the question, who do you think I am? And we're left to go back and think about it and talk about it and decide about it. But I think talk about it, think about it, decide about it, we must if we want to be religious at all, if we want to talk about life and death at all, we have to, right? Father, we thank you for telling us um, the story of Jesus. Thank you for giving it to us from the pen of a human being just like us. Thank you for giving it to us now in the grandiose story of a, a vision or a dream or a, uh, an ecstatic experience on an island. Um, Help us to know what's right. Help us to know what's important. Help us to know what we should. Thank you for being with us today. Um, let me ask you to do something for us. You can have a seat if you want. We, as you know, um, wanted to be here because we want to be in the thick of the life of our city, the city of Milton. And uh, so through the week, um, Tuesday through Friday, at least to start with noon or nine till noon. Anybody that wants to can come in here and hang out, have some good coffee, good conversation. Um, and people have been doing that. So I encourage you to, so that when people look in the window as they are prone to do, there was this one guy, this one really creepy guy. He looked a lot like that guy behind Peggy and Trish there. Um, and he finally made his way in here. So we're happy about that. Uh, um, but people are, are making their way in. Um, and uh, just come and hang out here. So, you know, as folks come in and want to have a, a chat, they can do that. But um, June the 2nd is the Milton Street Festival um, when the street will be teeming with, with people. And we're going to have an open house. We're, we're just simply going to make the, we're going to open the doors. And we're not kidding ourselves. We know the, the best thing we have to offer are the washrooms. So there will be freshly stocked supplies in the washrooms for all of the people that are here. But we'd also like for people to have the chance to walk through. And so we'd like to have some hosts on the three levels who would have just a little bit of a script to say what goes on in these levels. And if, if you would like to help us for about a two-hour stint, we, we'll, we'll just do it from 12 through 6, um, tell us that you would come and be here. And when you come, we'll have a little blurb for what you should say. And uh, both on Bethany's desk and by email, we'd love to hear from you if you would come and just say hello to folks as they come in off of the street and ask where are the washrooms and then politely listen to you because you've at least let them have uh, you know get to the washroom so they should listen to you. But we just want to say hello to people and welcome them in. As I told you, the, the downtown business improvement folks came in and did a walkthrough with their camera. And there have been like 3,000 people look at that. Um, so if you haven't seen it yet, it's just cool. It's just um, I didn't know they were going to be catching me here and there on the way through. But um, they, they just walked through and helped people have a look at this. Because people are wondering what goes on here. I, I had a meeting with a guy this week, and he said every week he meets at the arms with somebody, and he never knew what this was across the street. This guy's a Christian pastor, and he <laughs> couldn't tell. So we're going to figure that stuff out. Um, but we do want to just 
help people come in and hang out with us. So whatever you can do, and whenever you need a place to just come and sit and drink coffee and talk or bring food, please do that. And Sunday by Sunday, we're also saying the kitchen's open when the service is over, so you can either avail yourselves of um, the stoves and fridge out there and microwaves, or you can go buy something um, and just share it with other people. And we're, we're, we're kicking up the soup and sandwich lunches again, so Anne's going to be helping us coordinating that. So June 1st, the first Sunday in June, we'll have our first soup and sandwich. And each of the first Sundays of the month, we will do that so we can just kind of kick up the uh, familiarity with staying around and having lunch together after the Sunday morning services. So today, if you didn't bring something, there are lots of great, great places. We have some takeout menus on the counter there. Go and bless these um, kitchens up and down the street or go find something um, or just hang around and hope that somebody will take mercy on you and offer you some food. <laughs> Good. God bless. Thanks for coming.